Hello everyone, welcome to Morning Shot Uncut. We are both seated. If you are a paid member of Substack, you'll be able to see it because you get the video of this political podcast. If you do hear banging in the background, my apologies. Oh, that's the EFF trying to decolonize my home. But I do have God Dog keeping them at bay. So I do apologize for any background noise. What has been decolonized though, Byron, is at Kuhuleni. Try say that fast. Ekroleni. Ekru As you'll see, I have joined the EFF and look, I'm wearing my EFF colors. Okay, so for those of you, I said it first, no point to adding it in the comment section. <laughs> anyway, yeah, apparently the uh, Axis of Evil uh, is getting trying to get their uh, grubby mitts on uh, Ekroleni now. But apparently, uh, I think actually the pressing story really is around you and uh, the shithole that's also known as Joburg. So apparently the uh, EFF have been given the portfolio responsible for, guess what? Property rights, mate. Property rights. Securing your property rights. How do you feel about that? <laughs> In Johannesburg. I had no idea that was the case. Now I need to find Yeah, but they've got uh, public safety. Public safety and security. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be fun. What do you think about that, mate? All right, so they will head public safety. Okay, so the head of public safety will do everything in its power not to publicly save private property. Mm -hmm. Sorry, loud banging. Uh, yeah, so welcome. So what we are seeing here, ladies and gentlemen, for me is the ANZ EFF attempting at all costs to keep Gauteng come 2024. And they use the PA and Al Jamar as the inflection points to actually do that. So now Joburg's fallen to the axis of evil, Ed Kuleni's currently fallen to the axis of evil, and we do know that Gauteng, being the richest province in the country, is the heart of patronage for the ANC, for the EFF, for all of these grifters who call themselves political parties. So, yeah, welcome to South Africa in 2023. What more is it to say, Byron? So I think to a large degree, a lot of the, the audience will be watching this and kind of like feeling like this is a really bad thing. And they may be like, ah, oh, this spells the end of South Africa. Look, it's the NZEFF and I don't know, whatever other bullshit doom stories that they come. But actually, I think this is a good thing. It's a good thing because what's going to happen now is that people are actually going to see firsthand what an ANC-EFF alliance will actually look like. And I don't think it's going to be positive. I don't think the ANC and the EFF are going to see eye to eye, and I don't think that they're going to actually get on with anything. At the same time, I think everybody's going to see the service delivery under the EFF is going to be non-existent. They're going to see when they say things like, we'll protect the, the municipalities, that they won't. And when they say, we'll protect public infrastructure, they won't. And all the bullshit promises that they generally tend to, made, to make will now be debunked. Um, when we say Ekuruleni has fallen to the EFF, well, that's the news today that apparently the EFF have got the speakership of that municipality. And if you know anything about the municipal rules, then that basically means that the uh, the speaker will probably call a special sitting, not too too long from now, because that's a job she calls the she calls the sittings, and the sitting will be to vote uh, the DA mayor uh, under a vote of no confidence and probably install either an ANC or an EFF mayor depending on whatever sh grill or shift that they they get now for me personally i think that it may not even be an anc mayor that gets installed there i think the anc knows that their name is dirt and the problem with mayors 
is that the mayors generally tend to get blamed for every ill that goes wrong in a specific municipality. So I think the ANC know that the Joburg municipalities, those, the, you know, those areas, they're not really fixable in the short term. And I don't think they want to be overtly the mayors because it's like, well, who wants to be a mayor of a shithole and then have to take all the responsibility for whatever goes wrong? So it probably serves them to have someone mm-hmm. like the, the Muppet at Elgemar as the fall guy now in Johannesburg. And I suspect they'll do something similar in Ekruleni. I think so. I wouldn't put a past then to put an EFF mayor in there. But here's the thing, Byron. Mm-hmm. I think you are underestimating the capacity for retardation of the South African electorates, right? So, for example, I wrote a tweet uh, that got very popular during the course of this week, and it says, our people love corruption, love living in squalor, love literally drinking shit-infested water, right? And that is the absolute truth. The voters of South Africa have such low standards for anything that I don't think there is going to be major political change in the way that one might think because these municipalities, nothing's actually going to change them, right? Okay, they can degrade a lot more, but how much more can they actually degrade? They're not going to get your luggage, I mean your luggage, your rubbish picked up, okay, that's already happening. Uh, Land invasions, that's already happening. Loss of electricity, that's already happening. Potholes, that's already happening. And our people, as Cyril likes to call them, accept this. Right? They accept it overtly without anything else. If they are upset, they burn down a school somewhere. So I don't think anything's going to change at all. I, it's a good thing that the DA can't be blamed anymore or the coalition can't be blamed anymore. But I don't think it's actually going to fundamentally change the nature of politics in Gauteng or in South Africa. No. Short to medium term. So the problem is that, like, we all know that in 2024, we're probably going to have a uh, a coalition government of some variety, whether that be a coalition of the ANC and the EFF or the DA and other smaller opposition parties. You know, we all know that there's going to be some kind of coalition somewhere along the ground. The problem is now becoming the coalition politics in South Africa don't work. Now, if you look at the DA and actually, the shills that are the Action Action SA right now, and I, I must admit, Action SA is probably my biggest, should we say, political uh, embarrassment now that I think that we have. Because they, they promise a lot of things, but let's, let's be honest, it's just Marco Beaumont like, trying to nurse his own fifis because John stole his wife. John has a bigger cock than Michael. Michael, like, relax, dude. She didn't want you. She wanted someone else. Get on with life. You don't need to ruin the country for the rest of us now because you want to, you know, get even with the guy. Like, if you want to get even with a guy, like, I don't know, go buy some swords and jewel or something. Like, do something fun. But this isn't fun, and it's not even funny anymore because what they're specifically trying to do is they, they're sabotaging them. But then when you get to the ANC-EFF side, they're sabotaging each other too. And then you get to the PA side, and they're sabotaging everybody else. And the ANC and Action... SA like to say at the moment that coalition government doesn't work because of the DA, the DA's attitude towards coalitions. But what we've seen, even in the municipalities that have coalitions, even with the DA, is that the coalition doesn't hold. So that tells me that regardless of whether the coalition is a DA coalition or an Action SA coalition or an ANC coalition, 
I don't think it's really going to matter. I think come 2024, we're probably going to have, an, have a coalition and that coalition is going to be dysfunctional. So what I would say to everybody is if you're expecting to see some kind of regularity and if you're expecting to see not such a bumpy road, I think you should probably like get used to it now. Like we, we, this is what we're seeing now is probably going to be the norm now. And I think you need to make the relevant steps to protect yourself against state retardation because it's just, I don't see how this is going to improve. I think I've just found the title for this podcast, State Retardation. Thank you very much, Byron. We will certainly use that going forward. Maybe we should call this entire podcast State Retardation. Morning shot on cats are boring. <laughs> but anyway, I fully agree with you. And uh, here's the thing. Here's the problem with coalitions in South Africa. There's no overriding or undergirding sort of regulations around coalitions. If you go to other countries where, you know, people say, look at these coalitions, they're working so well. There are standards, right? So if you get like under 3%, you're not considered to be viable enough for any sort of coalition. If you go to Israel, they've got legislation that says who can be part of a coalition is based on the amount of votes, based on your electoral influence, based on the amount of seats you can get. So for for like an Israeli coalition or a Norwegian coalition or whatever the fact might be, to they would never have a party at fifty thousand votes being the mayor of the of Stockholm. Like it just mm. cannot happen under their system because they they say you can only be part of the coalition if you get ten percent of the vote or five percent of the vote or, or something like that. And there they yeah. understand as well. The more votes you get, the more influence you have in that coalition, which is what the DA is mm. trying to say. Rightly or wrongly, I think rightly, right? But you can't well, go based on proportionality, answer. right? I mean, it's meant to be a proportional yeah. system. But therefore, the home, more votes though, you have, it should but be. At, but at, at home, right? Like I'm the boss of my home. Okay, like my wife and I, we share responsibilities, but we don't ask the children what they want to do, right? You don't ask your children. They're not going to determine what the household's going to do. You can override them because you got more influence. You got. I pay the bills. Well, there you go. <laughs> you pay the bills. But you know what I mean? Like, these coalitions are like going to nursery school and then the teacher and the toddlers are like equal. Life doesn't work like that. You need hierarchy of some sort. You need some sort of influence, some sort of authority. And the coalitions in South Africa don't have that because there is no underlying legislation that governs that. No, but there are the, yeah, the the ANC says it's traveling, it's sending delegations through to Europe in order to see what legislation we need to put in place in order to govern these coalitions come 2024. Now, if you think about it logically, I, I reckon they're probably going to put something in place and it's probably going to be like some kind of binding agreement that lasts some over the four-year period and probably does limit the smaller parties. But if you think of this logically and if you were smart – Let's also not undercut the ANC. Like there is a degree of smartness and there's stupidity. They're stupid smart. So it's, you know, I think that there's probably a degree of they will set the limit to something like you must have 10% of the vote and then you can kind of join a coalition. But if you think about it logically, what that then means is that any coalition would have to be ANC, EFF and DA because those are the only parties that get over 10%. True. So it's like, you know, it, it would be it would be a very smart move to do that. Um, I'm quite shrewd in some respects, and I can see the ANC doing just that. But that being said, like I know that a number of people, I suppose this kind of moves on to our next topic, which is a number of people in South Africa just don't generally tend to understand 
a few things uh, and maybe we let's have a talk a talk about these things because the first is they don't really understand politics like a lot of people watch our our podcast and they they see what we talk about and they know we talk about politics but you know what like in my experience when you really sit down with people and actually have a really long meaningful conversation with them they don't understand politics they see politics as like a, a like a, a celebrity type context they see it as oh look at the eff they're always in the news therefore they must be really powerful and influential and they don't really understand how politics works in the real sense which is it's a bit like a small little chihuahua. There's lots of there's lots of little barks and there's lots of noise, but sometimes very little bark. So you may look at these kind of movements and be like, "Oh my God, this signals the end." But the end of what? I mean, let's let's use Cyril as an example. Cyril, Cyril was that chihuahua. He came in and he promised NHR expropriation without compensation. He was going to do all sorts of crazy bullshit. He was going to take away all of our firearms. Do you remember all that cuck? Where are we now with all that shit? I mean, that shit drove the agenda for two years, mate. But where is it? Yeah, it's nowhere. Then in the water. Everything Cyril has touched has turned to absolute shit. Literally a but, smart city that doesn't exist. But we called this. We called mm. it on day one. Like, he was like, oh, yeah, let's do this. And we were like, yeah, not going to work. Because you have to understand, you have to learn to separate the noise from the reality of life. And... I think the majority of people when it comes to, to politics in South Africa seems to be motivated more by the noise than the reality. And that brings me on to the second point, which is a lot of people then get influenced by the noise from overseas. I mean, I, I myself, I speak to a lot of individuals and because obviously I spent a long time abroad and then I came back, they always want to ask me the question, what's life outside of South Africa like? And it's, um, it's very interesting to speak to people. I get a lot of people tell me I'm really desperate to leave the country. I think this country is going to the dogs and there's nothing left here. And if you listen to the political noise and the noise of the people that you hear, as opposed to the reality of life here, you may actually be inclined to, to agree with that noise. I mean, it's sometimes very hard to drown that noise out and it influences your your feelings and your emotions and your, your worldview and how you see, how you see things. I mean, especially when Byron, if you were a property to a property, a propaganda 24 drone, and that's all you read, I would want to move as well. <laughs> Cause it gives you a and, warped sense of South Africa at a macro level, but the macro level doesn't matter that much. Key part. hundred percent, which is going back to the first point, which is people here don't really understand politics that well. And the, the you know, the point is like, I know that when I was abroad and I used to read the news, I'd go read IOL and all the other shits. And I was like, holy crap, I could never move back to South Africa. It's like such a shithole. Like there's bullets flying in the street. And, you know, when I did actually move back here, I was incredibly paranoid, man. like incredibly paranoid. I was adamant in my brain that I was going to get murdered in my sleep. But here I am five years later. And I'm like, ah, it's fine. You know, because the reality of actual day-to-day -day life now is really bad. But now, five years later, I'm reading the news abroad and I'm like, holy God, I, I couldn't go to London. Like, imagine what that's like. Everybody getting stabbed in the streets all day. And that may be true and it may, it may not be. But the reality is you need to learn to, to distinguish the noise from the reality of life. And, the other, and now the reality that I'm specifically drawing reference to is I know a lot of people that come to me and, like I said, they want to know what's life outside of south africa like what's it like in the uk are we it's our dream we want to go live there It'd just be great will be sunshine and, and and rainbows and there is something that i have started to realize the more i speak to people and that is their view 
of world politics and the reality of what life outside of South Africa is like is almost delusional. It's almost in the world of like, where did you get this cuck from? And it's funny because when I speak to a lot of people here and I say, well, why do you view England in this way? They're like, well, I watched this show on TV. It's called Escape to the Country. And it looks so beautiful and lovely. And I really want to go live there. And I'm like, you know what? Even to the English, we watch that show and we like, where's that? Because we don't see those places. They're not the reality of where we live. Wait a minute. I watched Escape to the Country. It's like one of the best shows ever. It's basically yuppie people in the city wanting to move to the countryside. And they buy these beautiful houses, like converted cathedrals and whatever, for like lots of money, like 20, 30, 40 million rands worth. And they live happily ever after. That's what the show says, Byron. Why wouldn't that be the truth? Yeah. And you see, that's actually the reality. And so, you know, if, if you guys don't watch Lotus Eaters, go watch Lotus Eaters. Ramon and I sent it to you. I was like, yeah, you got to watch this. Because they actually, they, they interviewed some people from Ukraine now that went to the UK. And you know, the Ukrainians are very funny people because they don't come from a very diverse and liberal society. They come from a very <laughs> traditional kind of outspoken society. That would say and, Nazi society, but anyway. Yeah, we're not, we're not really supposed to say that, are we? I mean, you know, Ukraine's the golden goose and it's like it, it only lays, it only shits golden eggs. So at the, at the end of the day, you know, they've, they've been interviewing these Ukrainian people They've been saying to them, you know, like, what do you think of England? And they're like, it's very black. And they're like, what do you mean it's very black? And they're like, yeah, but we, we thought that we were com- when we were coming to England, we would be living with the English. Where's the English? And they're like, oh, but England's very diverse now. And it's got all these other cultures. And they're like, but we didn't want to move to Africa. We wanted to move to England. We thought we'd be living with the English. And they're like, are you saying that you don't agree with this? And then they're like, and what's wrong? What's up with all these LGBTQ people? Like, where's they all come from? They're like, no, we're a very, very diverse country. You know, we, we celebrate people's differences. And they're like, yeah, but we don't believe in that. And long story short, it's like this, what they, they document this one woman and she goes through there and she's like, um, she goes to Birmingham and the whole entire school is just Muslim. And she's like, where's all the English people? And they're like, oh, it's a, it's a very pro-Muslim school. And she's like, but I don't want to go to school with the Muslims. And they're like, why don't you want to? And she's like, because I wanted to go to school with the English and have some English culture. And what's important, and the reason I'm drawing reference to this whole podcast is because the majority of South Africans' view is, I want to go to England to live with the English. The same as the Ukrainians' view is, I want to go to Ukraine and live with the you know, I want to go from Ukraine, go to England, and I want to live with the English. It's a fantasy, mate. It hasn't been that country since like 2003 when Tony Blair had enacted his open border policy. It hasn't been that country for a very long time. But people still seem to think that they go into England because their belief system of what it looks like is shaped by TV and, you know, the news narrative. But that is not actually the reality of the lived experience of the individuals. There, yeah. there is no England's gone, mate. It's but people don't seem to understand that. They they think I'm going to go live with the English, and so the upshot of this documentary was loads of the Ukrainians said, "Well, fuck this shit. We're going back to Ukraine." And they've, they've got they're like, "Ah, no, we want to go live with the Ukrainians." So, despite there being an active war zone and getting shelled yeah. and shit, they're like, "Uh, uh-uh. it's better than England. We, it's better than England," you know, and. That's and it, it's it's funny it's funny to watch that because a lot of people kind of say to me like ah oh, I'm desperate to go to Australia and America and whatever you know I'll go live with the Americans and it's like 
America's not very American anymore, you know? Like, it's yeah. got a lot of foreigners. Yeah, I mean, some parts of LA look worse than Hillbrow in Joburg. For those who live in Joburg, you would know exactly what I'm saying. But that's, I think that's the key difference. I think people must understand that they live in Africa, right? The people that watch this, our audience, we live in Africa. You must live with Africans the African way. I'm not saying wear a tutu and bloody live in a room double. That's not at all what I'm saying. Don't wear a duck and like... Although, if, you, the, if that's what oh, you want, you can Beaumont all day long, mate. That, you can become a politician if that happens. But this is Africa. It's a completely different way of living, right? We don't, we don't expect it to live in Europe. We're not expecting to live in Montenegro. I can't say that word, I suppose. We're not expecting to live in Monaco or France or, you know, people that think like us. South Africa is a, is a very diverse country with very different people who believe in very different things. That's why it shouldn't exist as mm. a country. But importantly, all that diversity, the real diversity, not the fake one that the West has, the real diversity is a point of chaos. It is the inflection point of utter chaos because no one knows the constitution. No one cares about the constitution. It was something foisted upon us by the elites, like the Nats and the ANC. Uh, even they themselves don't like the constitution, the ANC, because it limits uh, their capabilities for, for theft. So you have you have a weird scenario where you've got 12 different ethnicities, like 12 different language groups, 14 different language groups, living in a geographical area together under this very progressive Canadian constitution. And then people are wondering why it's fucking up. Well, that's the reason why, guys. That's the reason why. One culture is purely based on grift and patronage. One culture is based on rules and regulations. And other cultures are based on other things entirely. How are you supposed to coexist peacefully when you've got such a variety of views of what justice is or what power is or what laws are? You, you, it can't happen. It really can't. Yeah. And the idea actually comes down to shared history. The idea like the American people were always supposed to be supposedly diverse, but they all had a shared history, right? That civil, you know, the, the civil war, they had the, um, the constitution that was written, you know, they had all of the civil rights marches, like they had a shared lineage, so per se. And the idea was that it was that shared lineage that held people together. But the reality of life, the actual reality of life, is that different ethnic groups, regardless of who they are, generally tend to create enclaves and look after their own interests. It's been like that since the dawn of humanity. You, you can try to globalize all you want and tell everybody to listen to the masters, but it don't work that way. People want to look after their own interests. And that hierarchical, I want to look after my own interest structure, even occurs in your own household. It's like you saying, I want to look after my kids and then I'll worry about my brother's kids much later. Like my household is the primary one. Like those hierarchies are everywhere to be seen. We don't live in this, you know, society whereby everybody's just like altruistic and we're all like, ah, let's get along, sing kumbayas. Like we've never lived in that. It's not in the, it's no. not in the nature of humanity. No, it's the great fiction of liberalism. That's why I see all these liberals saying how, how far Joburg has gone and, you know, it's gone to the dogs and how to let this happen. Like, mate, you want a democracy. Now you got it. Why are you moaning? Right? Are you just figuring out now? Not everyone's a liberal. Correct. It's, it's quite late to the game to figure that out at the moment. But you want a democracy. You fought for it. You know, your, your parents fought for it. You wanted it. Now you got it. Guess what? No one believes, not everyone believes what you believe. Not difficult. And you know that. And that brings me on to the third point. I said there were three points here. So the third point is that, you know, like the more I kind of also realize something about South African politics and, and the way that people are here, the more I also realize something else. 
you know, like I said, the first one is that they just don't understand politics, man. The other, the next thing is that they all seem to have this idea of society outside of South Africa, but it's based on these like fictions that they made up in their head. Like I saw Escape to the Country, that must be what like England's like, or I used to watch Neighbours, and so you know I have an idea of what I think Australia looks like. Like ah, like guys, that's, that don't look like that anymore, right? and it hasn't looked like that for a very long time. So. The idea of the societies that you're going into aren't exactly going to match the reality of the society that you get. And I think that brings me on to the third point, which is it's amazing how few people seem to actually understand the reality of life as in the facts of life. Because you see, it's like I see these guys like, so a friend of mine the other day says, ah, oh, there are these mass shootings in Johannesburg, right? And the people are driving down the street and shooting at each other. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, I don't see this on the news or something. And I actually forced him to go find the news article. And it turned out it was like in Kailisha. And you're like, look, this is a drastically different location with drastically different circumstances. A drive-by shooting in Kailisha, everybody's like, eh. You know, a drive-by shooting in Hillbrow, you might be like, oh, it's a little bit like, oh, what's going on? Right? You've got to understand that geographical locations and the reality, the actual facts of what those places look like in reality it's very different from whatever narrative you crafted in your head. And that in itself becomes important because this is what I see a lot. Like people are talking about how, say, as you very rightly pointed out, they say, oh, look, Johannesburg's gone to the dogs. Look at this public park. You can't go there and there's drugs everywhere and there's homeless people. Guys, you've been to LA any, at any time recently? Because I promise you, LA, LA and Johannesburg, you could overlay the two and you wouldn't know the difference. So the yeah. idea... The idea that this reality of life, like this actual city that you see here, is limited to South Africa itself, you're delusional, guys. Like, these cities are everywhere. The decay that you see is everywhere. And as possibly, you could make a case that in South Africa it's more advanced. But so what? That doesn't mean the decay isn't going to get to that stage everywhere else. Everywhere else is decaying. I mean, interestingly enough, even the IMF, and this is a shocking statistic, Ramon, but the IMF says our growth rate, despite having records amounts of load shedding this year, will be higher than the UK's. <laughs> you know, like, but people are like, oh, only we're decaying. Look, okay, we need growth rates at around 5 or 6% in order to sustain population growth. That is a fact. Yes. But what do you think the UK population growth is doing? It's it's doubling what the what South Africa's population growth is doing. And they've got far lower statistics in terms of the employment rate, in terms of economic growth. So, okay, so we're already at a point where we're a bit fucked. But where do you think they're going? And they're getting there far faster than we got there. But the reality is it's like it's better, right? It's it's yeah. better because it's good to the country. But I think a lot of people might think, well, you know, they already have a state that can solve these problems. But that's not so did we. true. The state is the, the cause of these problems. It's the state that brings in mass immigration. It's the state that has all these socialized welfare programs that cost money. It's the, mm-hmm. the state is the reason why the NHS is collapsing and has been collapsing for the last, I don't know, since it was started. They keep saying that it is collapsing. And it is in, in some extent. It really is. But when you have this idea about the world that everyone's equal, that everyone thinks like me, we should bring in as many people as possible into my country because there's no such thing as an Englishman, right? You're an Englishman if you live here. You're a French person if you live here. No, mm-hmm. that, that, that doesn't 
counts. Borders are yeah. important. Categories are important. Walls are important. The Israelis know this for some reason. The Hungarians know this. A lot of countries realize what this is. The West, on the other hand, no. Everyone's a liberal. So you, so you know who really understands this better than anyone? The North Belarus. Koreans. Oh, right. Belarus. Okay. Belarus. Have you seen Belarus's economy at the moment? It's doing great despite sanctions and shit. Guess how much diversity there is in Belarus? Fuck <laughs> all. Not much. You try to go to Belarus as an immigrant. You know what they do? They chuck you on a train and they go, you don't want to be in Belarus. We're a really difficult country. We think our, we think our leader is like a dictator or something. Do you know where you'd be really happy? Germany. And you know what? We'll, we'll even we'll pay for the train ticket. You'll get there and you'll be much happier. Like Belarus have got this sorted, man. They know what they're doing. But, you know, the reality is, and, and this is this is the next thing that I, I suppose I was trying to get to is, you know, Cal- Callum, I haven't said this to you, but you, you must watch it, man. I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah. So Callum of the Lotus Eaters went off and he actually went to Russia. Don't know how he got in there, but he went to Russia and he filmed it. And it was great, man. And one of the things he did is they took him into the Donbass and he went there to go speak to people. And he was asking them about, you know, like, so when he was in Russia, he was talking to them about all the people, you know, the Russians that leave. And there was something that the Russians said that really struck me. And it was like, they were like, you know, all these people that leave. Yeah, they're just cucks. They're just cucks who can't handle living in a country that belongs to themselves. They think that the country is there to benefit them personally and to make their life easier and it's not actually a country that they own and it belongs to them and that they have to make better and you know what like it was such a it was such an important line because i was sat there thinking about it it's like all these people that leave here look at the reasons they say that they've got to leave they're like ah well you know state isn't providing for me there's no electricity and there's be laws and you know my kids have got no future and they can't look after this crime and you're like you know it's the it's the it's the old saying that they even used to say in and you know all the propaganda u.s recruitment shit ask not what you can do for your country not ask what your country can do for you but what you can do for your country like yeah. nobody thinks like that here everybody well, thinks like i think i think quite a lot of people think like that Byron, with respect i mean afrikaner said anything. well no 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 i'm I mean the people that fuck off. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, about. But, but they want to live in a Western country, mate. You're like, here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. They really, These are the people that were against apartheid, right? And there are very good reasons to be against apartheid. I'm not saying apartheid was better. I'll leave that to Julius Malema. Uh, he likes to say that. Uh, actually, Jonathan Janssen as well just said, was apartheid really that bad? That was like the name of his column this week. I'm like, interesting. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. So under apartheid, you had a sort of Western puritanical society, right? It worked very well for the whites, Anglos or otherwise. Then they said, no, no, now we need democracy, right? Because apartheid was evil. Cool. Now they got democracy. And as soon as you give democracy to people who aren't Western or liberal, it's not going to play out in a, in a liberal way whatsoever. And now that the black majority does have power, now that the socialists do have power, they are changing society, which is, of course, their right. They've been elected by the vast majority of people to change society in whatever way they want. That is what democracy is. And then they turn around, the, the liberals who gave the ANC the power in the first place, and now they turn around and say, oh, but there's no longer a Western society. It's no longer a liberal society. It's no longer a society that can provide for me. Once again, no, no shit, guys. Like, no shit. So where do you go? You go to 
countries with overwhelmingly white majority because <laughs> you're more comfortable except there. those except the problem is that those countries are no longer overwhelmingly white and they're also no longer overwhelmingly western because well, yeah. all the things that made these things overwhelmingly white and western are dying and that's what i'm and that's why i come back to the point number two which i made which is people just don't seem to actually know what the actual reality is apart from the noise they all have this idea of this noise in their head like i i watched escape to the country and it's only whiteys there and there's nice big mansions in the country that must be what england's like you know the fact that london recently had a census and the census showed that only 35 percent of london were actually white and most of them were from lithuania like ah that's the inconvenient truth right and when you talk about manchester basically being over 60 percent pakistani like that's an inconvenient truth. Just, just don't mention that. Don't mention that. Like, you know, th these are things that people don't want to discuss because, you know, they went to a holiday one time to Norfolk and that was, you know, a coastal town, basically like Plettenberg Bay. And it's like, you know, it's the, it, they were whites there. So like, I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. And you're like, you guys are, you're stupid because that's not what real hubris. life is like now. But you can see the hubris, right? In, in, in the attempt to change South Africa, they go to other countries, which is, in their view, more like South Africa of the past where they grew up. That's the inherent irony of liberalism in South Africa, right? Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing, guys. Negotiated settlements are always shit for minorities. Always. If you want to run a country, you need violence and then you need power and domination. Negotiated stuff doesn't work. America is made through the war against the British. Britain is made through the wars against the French and Napoleon. Russia was created through wars against Genghis Khan, right? This is how you create a society. You don't negotiate with people because you always end up losing as a minority. That's the story of Africa, but somehow people thought this place would be different. It's not. It's not, but, you know, and then the, but the points I'm making is as well, it's like, you know, you look at people even here in, the, in South Africa, they're all like, oh, there's no future here, we should leave. And you're like, okay, cool, but... And we talk about this a lot and everybody's like, no, oh, but there is no future. And you know, you boys don't know what you're talking about because my kid, my kid, my kid one day wants to go, he, wants to go, he needs opportunities in that. He needs to go to Australia or England or America. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm confused here. When your kid grows up, can he not leave? Does he not have a passport? Was he denied the ability to travel externally? Like, I'm confused. You know, so it and it, it confuses the crap out of me because when you then speak to them about what it is that their actual problems seem to be, a lot of it seems to be, well, they actually want better opportunities for themselves and they're not actually prepared to build a state that they want to live in. They want to go mm. to a state that will give to them the life that they feel they deserve. And that is a problem because there's the reason it's a problem is because they're not the only one that feel like that. There's a lot of people that feel like that because it's now like the Western progressive way, right? I mean, you should Very much so. stuff. You just get killed. And so what you find is that there's a shitload of people up and down, even Africa itself, Zimbabweans, Mozambicans, you've got Congonese, you've got Rwandans, you've got people from Somalia. All those people feel very similar. People from Sierra Leone, you've got people coming through from Syria, from Afghanistan. They all have the same kind of mentality. But they all go into the West. And in the process of going to the West, the West has to, there are massive, massive moves, even in England at the moment, to decolonize England. How do you decolonize the motherland that was never colonized? Like, how's that work? But you go 
any debate in Oxford or Cambridge, and they're all going through decolonization. Australia's just announced it's removing the queen off the off the currency, and they're going to promote the local indigenous culture. The local indigenous culture celebrated like by ten sheep and three cows. Like yeah. there ain't that many of them left. That was but decimated that- by the, the settlers, right? So my, my I know someone very dear to me who lives in Australia and visits South Africa often. For every Qantas flight, before they leave, they have to have an affirmation that uh, this airport's on stolen land. And they have to affirm the, the rights of the Aboriginal people before flying off somewhere in a spaceship to another country. That's yeah. not a society I want to live in. At least if we go to SAA, the plane won't even start. Like, at least we know that, right? The expectations well, have been met. Over there, you have to like thank the people that you genocided um, 100 years ago. But anyway... I- but but this is the point. And then they all go, okay, but I'm going to Australia and it's great because I watch Neighbours and Neighbours wasn't like that. So therefore, Australia can't be like that at all. And you're like, that's why I say like it's, South African politics is, is weird because people don't understand politics. And they have this really weird idea of what life outside of South Africa is like based on their brain. And all they want to do is go somewhere where they feel that a society should just give them some stuff and they're not actually prepared to to build the country that's theirs they they just want to be cuckolds to the state you know they just want the state to kind of like hurt them harder and as long as like they feel the state is giving them what they want they go ah it's much better for me and you know we get we all get loads of comments on this they'll all be like oh you boys are stupid i had such a better life in australia i've done so much better you know i've done far better than i could have done in south africa hey mate that that may be the case that may very well be the case, but that doesn't negate what we're saying. And the decay is going to come through to Western societies, and some societies already happen. It's like I was talking to this lady the other day, and she's turning around to me talking about, like, you know, she's a proper happy clappy. Like, it's not my religious views, but so what? I just listen to her talk. And she's like, you know, we can get this one world government and the mark of the beast, and it's going to do this and that. And I looked at her, and I was like, chick, you know what's funny? You're talking about all these things as if they're like, they're going to happen. It's like, we already have a one world government. It's already there. There's already a supposed mark on the beast on the horizon. It's called digital IDs. You know, like, it's funny how you're talking about these things like they're going to happen. Like 20 years ago, when you gained your knowledge and your view and your outlook of what the world looks like, that was all speculative. You know, England looked like England and this stuff was all going to happen. We're not in that world anymore. The reality is there is a one world government. It's already there. The technology for the mark of the beast is already there. England is no longer English. Australia is no longer Australian. American is no longer American. And Canada just, well, Canada is a place where you get sick. They they want you to sign a, a, a form that allows them to euthanize you. Yeah, every time like, you get a flu, yeah. Oh, you know, well, we're sorry. You, you can't, know where there is no mark of the beast. Uh, there's no mark of the beast in South Africa because, well. We have no electricity. Exactly. But anyway, I do apologize. I actually need to go. Um, so thank you so much for listening to us. If you do enjoy this, please leave a comment. We will on Substack. That is, we will, of course, uh, answer you there. Thank you, Byron, for an auditory spectacle on mansplaining about why people shouldn't immigrate we truly appreciate it and for everyone else if you listen to this on friday have a good weekend if you don't have a good whatever else you will be doing after this podcast cheers everyone bye bye